This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Praise God, huh? Amen for that. That was a powerful time to worship our Lord. Like I said, there is literally no better question we could start with than the question we're going to start with today, which is all around the issues of salvation. And I loved the questions that you guys asked. We're going to get into some specifics, some specific questions that you asked around the topic of salvation. And your questions were heartfelt, and I know they were personal. And I want to tell you, you might be sitting here thinking right now, you know what, Uh, I already am a follower of Jesus, so really, what am I doing here? This message doesn't have anything for me. I can tell you it does. This message has huge implications for every single person who's in this room this morning. And here's why. If we really understand what God has done, is doing, and will do in the lives of every human being in the world who turns to him, we can't help but go out. We can't help but invite our friends in. Each of us has people that we know who have questions about salvation, who have questions about God, and who are distant from him. And God wants to draw them in this morning. So if you're here this morning and you've never entered into an intimate, passionate relationship with God, I hope that today would be your day, that you would really experience him in a real way. And if you're here this morning and you have come into a relationship with Jesus, I want to tell you God has something for you today because God has put you in relationships where he's inviting you to go and to invite people to come in and experience him. So let's get ready. Let's jump in. Before we can get into some specific questions, we have to understand the heart of God. And so we have some notes in your programs. You can pull that out. Uh, Ron and I are tag teaming this morning, and so we figured we should sit down so we don't go for like five hours. That seemed like the best thing for us. We we're trying to or, find a centerpiece. Or maybe we should stand up so we don't so go So we don't go, hours. yeah. yeah we we're going to find a centerpiece, and we couldn't find anything. And I said, we could put the cross up hard. That'd be cool, you know? We could like just jump up on the table with the cross, but maybe not. Maybe later. We'll see what happens. It's just a crazy morning when you get two of us on stage together. Uh, We're going to start off with a scripture that most of you know at least the first verse of, I would guess. If you've been around the church for any period of time, it's John chapter 3, and it really speaks to the heart of God. But we're going to go a little bit through that a little further. John 3, 16 says this, and you probably know the beginning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God loves you so much. Not only that he would pay the ultimate price for you, but he has paid the ultimate price for you. We just celebrated communion, and that is the moment where God changed history for eternity. He drew all people to himself. He conquered death. He broke the power of sin and brokenness and destruction in our lives and drew us back to himself. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Friends, we have to understand that it doesn't matter what we've done. Where we've been, who we were, God can draw us back to himself. God can redeem it. He has the power and he has the heart to do it. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Jesus really touches on two key things here. The first is that God's great desire is for every person to come into an intimate, personal, passionate relationship with him. Every person in the world. God so loved the world. Not just part of the world, not just Sonoma County. God loves the world. His love is far-reaching. It's not, uh, it has no limits. It has no bounds, and he wants to draw us into a relationship with him, and he's made a way for us to do it through Jesus. We have to understand that to understand this topic. But the second point is equally clear. Uh, is that Jesus is, is really honest, and he says some people will reject the invitation to come and know God. And when those people reject God, there will be eternal consequences. And that's what we're talking about this morning. 
God is calling everyone, but some people will turn. Some people will reject him. That's not God's desire. God wants you to come into a relationship with him. He wants you to know him. But the truth is some people will turn away. And the Bible says it's because they love darkness. They love the brokenness, the death, the destruction. They wouldn't say that, but that's the reality that their lives express. And God wants to turn them and draw them back to himself. And so I'm going to, Ron, why don't you just uh, kick us off with what salvation actually does in our lives, some of the spheres of that, and then go into our first two questions this morning. Sure. Um, If you look in your notes, let's take the very first truth. Because if we're going to understand salvation correctly, we have to understand its scope. And the first is this, that uh, salvation is God's way of changing our lives in three very important ways. So the first thing you have to understand is that salvation is about life change. And God's going to change it, first of all, He's going to change it internally. Because the moment that you and I decide to become followers of Christ, then God's Spirit takes up residence in our hearts. And He brings a couple of things with Him. First of all, He brings a new identity. It's our new identity. And we now go from being those who are just sort of lost and aimless in life. We are now followers of Christ. We have a leader. We have an eternal leader. And and we have real direction in life. And the other thing that the Spirit brings with Him is He brings the light. And, And you saw it in the passage that Kevin just read to you that God's light comes into our lives. And, and that light does a couple of, th- of things. I was, when I was praying about this, I realized it's like, have you ever had someone say, and then the light came on? Yeah, and all of a sudden life made sense or whatever it was you were working on. Well, that's exactly what John was saying to us when he said that the light of God comes into our life. And when it comes on, it gives us a new perspective. It gives us a new attitude about life and it gives us a new appetite. But it's not long before that light shines on a portion of our life that, sh- that isn't what it should be. Because we have destructive habits and behaviors. So once God begins to bring this internal change in us, He begins to work it also on the external behavior that we have. And, and, and the goal here is that God wants to replace the destructive behaviors of our life with behaviors that are healthy and helpful. Now, if, if um, some of you have a, a background like I did, where I grew up in a church where I could sort of laugh and say, we never had Ten Commandments, we just had one, thou shalt not anything. Because if it was fun, it was wrong. And, and, and that, that's never been in the heart of Christ. What he wants to do is come in and take the destructive behaviors that we have and replace them with great behaviors. And uh, so the Spirit begins to work in our lives that way. But, you know, if, if He changes the inside and He changes the outside, what is there left to change? Well, actually, there's a very important thing left to change, and that is He wants to change our eternity. So He's going to change us internally, externally, and in eternity. Because here's what happens. Two sets of records get changed in heaven the moment that you and I decide that we want to participate in God's salvation. And it's important that all of us understand this. The first is, uh, you might not realize it, but there's an archive in heaven that is your life. It's all up there. Every thought, every word, every deed. And, and, and it's not that God's going to go through that and look for flaws because he wouldn't have to look far, right? In any of us. But it's all up there because God doesn't want any of your life or my life to be wasted. There's only one problem. There there are large portions of our life and and there are things in our life 
that are destructive and terrible. Well, the great thing that happens is when we decide to come to Christ and we decide to give our lives to Him, then God goes in and He carefully goes through that record and everything in our life that's imperfect, everything in our life that's wrong, everything in our life that was destructive, God washes that away and that record is expunged. You and I sang it in the song, Hosanna. It talked about our sins being washed away. Uh, and we're no longer guilty of them. So if God washes away out of our eternal record everything that was bad, what's left? Everything that's what? Aren't you going to love looking at your life when it's only good? Yeah, that's what we get. The second record that gets changed in heaven is this. There's a book up there called the Book of Life. And the Book of Life has in it the names of every single person who has a place reserved for them in heaven. Now, if there's ever a list you wanted to be on, mm-hmm. that's it, correct? Preach it, brother. Yeah. So, there you go. That's what salvation is about. It's got the internal change, it has the external change, and it has the eternal change. And friends, I want you to know, Kevin and I want you to know that God wants you to get all three. Are you on board with that? Yeah, absolutely. Now, let's take the first question, because it has to do with children, and rightfully so. Because one of the questions that comes up is, are children saved if they die before giving their lives to Christ? Fortunately, the Bible speaks very clearly about this. We're going to go straight to a passage that uh, right out of the life of Jesus. You'll find it up here on the video screen, and I'll read it to you. It says, people were bringing little ones to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, he put his hands on them and blessed them. Simply stated, here is the truth. Children are already included in God's kingdom. That's always been God's way of dealing with children. In fact, I'll take you back to to one story. When the nation of Israel was being redeemed out of the nation of Egypt and they were in slavery and Moses went down and led the people out and he took them right up to the border of the promised land and he said to the people, tomorrow we go in. And the people rebelled and they said, no, we can't go in. It's too tough. Moses said, no, God's promised us this land. They said, no, we can't go in. The, the, The people are too big. There's just no way we can go in there. And God was very upset with his people. And he said, you're right. You're absolutely right. You can't go in because I'm not going to let you now. And it was a sad day in Israel, but I want you to hear this. God said, no one's going to go in except for Caleb and Joshua, who are the only two men who stood up to the people. So it's going to be Caleb and Joshua, and it's going to be everybody 20 years of age and under. I want you to hear what God said about them. Because they're not old enough to know right from wrong. Now you can search from the beginning of Scripture to the end, and God consistently deals with children that way. He considers them innocent until they reach what most churches refer to as an age of accountability, where they understand right from wrong. In some churches, it's considered 8 or 10, other churches 12, some 16, I think God wanted to be wonderfully generous, and he said, how about 20? Okay? 
But the bottom line is children are already included in God's kingdom. Let's go to the second question. The second question is this. What happens to someone who uh, isn't baptized when they die? Now that, that question comes from a very good knowledge base because it recognizes that God wants all of us to be baptized. So what about someone who makes a decision to follow Christ but isn't baptized yet? In churches that I grew up in, the proverbial question was, what about someone who's involved in a fatal car accident on the way to the baptistry? Okay. Well, let's take a look at, what, uh, at another passage of Scripture. And here it is in 1 Peter chapter 3. This is what baptism pictures for us. In baptism, we show that we have been saved from death and doom by the resurrection of Christ. Not because our bodies are washed clean by the water, but because in being baptized, we are turning to God and asking Him to cleanse our hearts from sin. It's very clear in that passage and others in the Bible, this truth that, that baptism is the symbol of our salvation. It, is, it doesn't enact it and it doesn't guarantee it. I have a baptismal certificate. That's not going to do me any good on the day that Jesus comes again. I can't pull it out and say, you've got to take me into heaven. i got one of these. Okay? It's not how it works. It symbolizes our salvation. Now, two, a couple of things. Number one, God's not legalistic about that. You know, if I trip and fall on the way up to the baptistry and somehow fatally injure myself, God's not going to say, I'm sorry, man, you just didn't make it. Huh. Because, you know, his salvation has already come into my life when, when I gave my heart and my life to him. But I want you to know this, that God intends for baptism to be the very first thing you do as a Christian. You know why? God could read your mind. God knows the moment you decide to make Christ your, your Lord and Savior. He could read your mind. But God wants you to do something outwardly that indicates to Him and to those around you that you have officially taken Him up on His offer. So He calls you to do that. And I want to encourage you, uh, if you've made the decision to become a Christian, but you've never actually been baptized as an adult, uh, that's something you can and should remedy immediately. We have baptism services coming up this summer. I want to encourage you to come and participate in that because that's a wonderful way in which you reach out to God. So there's the first two. Kevin, yeah, over to you, man. Absolutely. And, and one of the things that I love about baptism and why we do it in community here is because it both is this amazing experience with you and Christ, but also it's an amazing experience for us as your church community. We get to celebrate with you and watch with you. And our worship is more passionate because we see God changing lives. So I want to encourage you, like Ron said, Get baptized this summer. Let's do it. You know, we'll pick a day when it's nice and warm. We'll warm up the water for you. And even if it's cold, you know what? Just a little sacrifice. You can handle it. We're talking about sacrifice next week. So, you know, we can handle that. Hey, here's a question that came up that actually really used to terrify me, especially when I first became a follower of Jesus. And is, what is the unforgivable sin? And am I committing it? That's, that's a good question. You should be asking that question. Because really, what's the point in being here if you've already committed it, right? You might as well grab a cup of coffee and head out. It's a nice day. You can go to the beach or something. So we need to ask that question. Look at what Jesus says in Mark chapter 3. Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. Catch this. But is guilty of an eternal sin. Never has forgiveness and is guilty of an eternal sin. That should cause us to pause at least a little bit if we haven't wrestled with this question. What is this sin? Am I committing it? Can I uncommit it? And if I can't, 
can I at least get like a parting prize as I leave the church? You know, like something. We should be talking about this. To understand the unforgivable sin, to understand blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, we need to understand some key roles of the Holy Spirit. And to do that, I want to take us to John uh, chapter 16 for just a minute. This is what Jesus says in John 16. He says, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to do a few things. He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they did not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world, Satan, has been judged. Verse 12, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them right now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. The Spirit will glorify me, and he will take what is mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I say, he takes what is mine and he discloses it to you. So there are some key roles of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God in our lives. And the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity it is God. He is very active in our lives. The Bible says the Holy Spirit, when we come to believe in God, comes and dwells within us. That's why Jesus said, it's better for me to leave to his disciples when he was, before he was crucified. Better for me to go because I'm with you, but the Holy Spirit will be with all people and will dwell within you. So what are some things that the Holy Spirit does? Well, the first thing the Holy Spirit does, according to Jesus, is he convicts the world concerning righteousness and sin and judgment. Basically, what that's saying is he reveals to us the things that are destructive and wrong and bad and are separate from God, that are separating us from God, that are hurting those that we love and care about most. The Holy Spirit convicts us. It's the reason why we would say, I need a Savior. If you're not convicted of the things that you're doing are not from God or destructive and bad and wrong, why would you come to need a Savior and the Lord? The Holy Spirit convicts. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit guides us to truth. So it leads us away from one path, and it leads us to another path, to the path of God. That's why we, we need the Holy Spirit to follow after God. We can't understand the truths of God apart from the Holy Spirit. We grasp at it, and we try to figure it out, but when the Spirit is not dwelling inside of us and guiding us to truth, we can't fully understand the plans and the purposes and the direction of God. And so basically, if we reject the Holy Spirit, if we blaspheme him, if we speak against the Holy Spirit, what are we doing? We're saying, I don't want your conviction. I refuse to listen to you. I'm going to harden myself, harden my heart from the things that are clearly destructive, clearly hurting me, clearly separating me from God. I will not listen to you, Spirit of God, and I will not allow you to lead me to truth. I will not allow you to lead me to God. Remember, Jesus said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish. But that is a big whoever. Whoever believes, whoever comes, whoever gives their life to Christ will not perish, but will have eternal life. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit convicts us of the things that are destructive, and it guides us to our Savior, guides us to God, shows us that we need to turn to God and come to him. So here's the quick answer for you. If you're afraid that you've committed the eternal sin, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you probably haven't, because if you had, you wouldn't care if you had. Does that make sense? If you have so shut God out of your life, so shut the Holy Spirit out of your life that you think, I do not need to be convicted, I do not need a Savior, then you wouldn't worry if you had committed it. So I want you to rest assured, if you are seeking after God, the Holy Spirit will come and will lead you to Him, will lead you to truth, will lead you to righteousness. If you reject the Holy Spirit, what you're doing is you're saying, I reject God, and God cannot forgive someone who is not seeking forgiveness. 
He loves you too much. He gave you free will so that you could choose to love him. But in giving you free will, he made a choice that he would not force you into relationship with him, but would invite you to come. And the Holy Spirit is God at work in your life, stirring you to him. It's why sometimes you hear a message and you think, is the pastor speaking right to me? Trust me, we aren't speaking necessarily right to you. I didn't hear something on the grapevine and think, I need to talk to that person. So the rest of you just have to listen in. It's the Holy Spirit guiding you. It's why if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God, you may sense that God is doing something. He may quicken your heartbeat. Your hands may start to sweat. You might sense that God is, there's truth in this, that God's calling you. That's the Holy Spirit revealing to you that you need a Savior, that you need Him. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Um, If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, to what extent are you allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you and convict you? None of us really likes being convicted. How many of you really like it when your wife says, hey, that thing that you did, that was wrong, you shouldn't have done it, or when your husband says that to you? We don't necessarily love it. It is one of the key roles of the Spirit of God to convict us of the things that are destructive and to lead us to truth. So to what extent are you allowing the Spirit of God to move in your life? And if you're here this morning and you've never come into a relationship with God, I want to invite you for the next 15 minutes as we continue, ask the Spirit to reveal truth to you. I believe the Holy Spirit will come and will guide you and will lead you to himself. Or I want you to take us Well said. You know, as Kevin was speaking, I was thinking, um, I, I've heard people take God's name and treat it shallowly and use it as a curse word. And, uh, but you know what I've never heard? I've never heard anyone curse in the name of the Holy Spirit. Have you? Somewhere that gets through to all of us. That's probably not a good thing. And uh, so, yeah, right on board with that. Let's move on to question number four. Question number four is, if salvation is found in Christ, and we saw that right up front, that, that, that Christ died for our sins, what about people who lived and died before Jesus ever lived? Are they just lost? You know, they just have bad timing? Um, you know, they should have chosen to, to be born later? Well, no, the Bible has some wonderful things to say about this as well. In fact, let's go to the book of Hebrews, because we're going to learn something in the greater context of salvation. I think it would be good for all of us. Under the Old Covenant, this is the Old Testament, this is prior to Jesus, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day. And what's he doing? He's offering the same sacrifices for sin again and again. And then what's that next phrase? Let's read it out loud. Which can can never take take away sins. How would you like to have that job? You stand here, offer these sacrifices, but they don't really do anything. They can't really take away sin. Well, he goes on to say, But our high priest, and that's Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins. Good for all time. Which is why the cross is here. It continually reminds us of that one sacrifice that was good for the sins. I want you to circle, underline that phrase, for all time. That would include not just future sins for after Jesus died, but what about the sins before Jesus died? He purchased forgiveness for those sins as well. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Now here it is simply stated. People who lived and died before Jesus received a temporary covering for their sins through animal sacrifices that pictured the coming perfect sacrifice Jesus would make. If you're like me, you had to wonder, when I read the Old Testament and people killed animals, why'd they do that? 
The truth is, God wanted them to have at least some understanding of the sacrifice that Jesus would make. So he had them take animals that belonged to them, that they had at least some form of a relationship with, that had some value, and he wanted them, he wanted them to know what it was like to watch that animal die because that was pointing them to the one and only sacrifice that could actually take away their sins forever and that was Jesus, which is why when Jesus died, the animal sacrifices ceased because they were never God's greatest uh, idea anyway. He wanted the people to get a sense of that loss, to get a sense of that sacrifice, to know what it was like for a life to be given for their life. And then once Jesus died, we had the real thing. And so... How were people saved before Christ? Well, as they continued to walk in that, and and especially the Jewish nation, that's how they were saved prior to Christ, by offering the sacrifices that pointed to the one perfect sacrifice. Now let's go to the next question, which is this. Can people who have never heard the gospel be saved? Have you ever wondered that? I've never known a Christian that didn't wonder that, especially if you've ever traveled in a third world country. I'll never forget my first trip riding on a bus going from one airport in Bombay, uh, India, to another airport in Bombay, India, and we rode for about 10 minutes through it, my very first shantytown. And friends, I was not prepared for that. In fact, I was overwhelmed by it. I remember sitting by the bus window and Monica was sitting right beside me And after about three or four minutes of of looking at what I saw, I turned to her and I said, Monica, there's no hope for these people. There is no way out for them. And what's worse is they will never hear about Jesus there. I couldn't imagine a worse life. So what about those people? Did they just lose out here? And they also lose out in eternity. Well, God speaks very clearly to this. Take a look. When outsiders who have never heard God's law follow it more or less by instinct, they confirm its truth by their obedience. Now take a look at this. What does he mean by God's law? If no one had ever written it down anywhere and you didn't even have a Bible, you and I would both know that murder is wrong, correct? It's just in us. You and I would both know that stealing is wrong. It's just in us. In fact, if you looked at the vast majority of the Ten Commandments, we don't actually need God to tell us those are wrong. We actually know they're wrong because it's instinctively in us. Now notice how he he picks up on that. They show that God's law is not something alien imposed on us from without but woven into the very fabric of our creation. There is something deep within them, even though they don't have never heard God's law, that echoes God's yes and no, his right and wrong. Their response to God's yes and no will become public knowledge on the day that God makes his final decision about every man and woman. The message from God that I proclaim through Jesus Christ takes into account all these differences. What's he really saying? Those who live and never hear the gospel of Jesus, when they stand before God, he's going to look into their heart and he's going to say to them, how much of my law that I stamped into your nature did you follow? Did you go against it? 
Did you live like an outlaw? Or did you really try to do what your conscience was telling you to do? And so God will judge them by their conscience. Well, that begs a question. Well, why do we go tell them the gospel? Let's just let them be ignorant and go to heaven. Okay? I'll tell you why. Because the great life that you and I enjoy in this church and the great relationships that we have and the great joy that we know in knowing that our sins are forgiven and the great assurance that we have as God sheds the light of his truth on our life and, and, and the great anticipation we have of an eternity with him, why should they live all their life and never get that? Why should they live all their life wondering about who God is when we can tell them? I want to make one thing, one other thing clear before I pass it back to Kevin. And that is it's important to understand that, that what the author is talking about there in the book of Romans applies only to people who have not had the opportunity to hear the gospel. It does not apply to those who have the opportunity but ignore it or neglect it. Everybody on board with that? Can't say, oh, I'm just going to do the conscience thing. Okay? No. That's not available to you. Christ is available to you. If you're here for the first time, uh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That ship has sailed. So join the party. I wouldn't say sorry. I would say, hey, you got in on it. How great is that? You're welcome. That's right. You're invited into the party. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. Well done. Uh, the, the thing that Ron really hit on that I love is that so many churches talk about salvation as this thing that happens after we die. We go to heaven, then we begin to live the life that God has for us. But no, God wants us to live that life now. His spirit dwells within every believer. He wants us to have a life of purpose, of passion, of healed relationships and restoration. And that is amazing news here and now and today. And that takes us out into our communities to draw our friends in. And in eternity, salvation. But why limit what God wants to do now and the people who we are connected with? I love it. That's awesome. So what about the people who have heard uh, and just choose to reject him? And this is a hard one. This is a hard one, especially for a lot of folks in our area of California. This is where they feel like God is just some mean, cold, calculating, uh, manipulating person. What about the people who have heard about Jesus but rejected him? Where will they go? Will they really go to hell? Uh, And that's a very real question. Maybe you've heard the phrase, that was hell. My divorce was hell. That job was hell. Being at war was hell. Genocide or violence, suffering, it was like hell on earth. Have you heard that phrase before? I think people are actually really onto something when they use that language and that phrase. Because I think what they're saying is this situation, this relationship, this job, this war was so horrific, so bad that I could not see God in this place. And therefore it was like hell for me. I think people are actually closer to the truth than they know when they use phrases like that. The truth is that God is in this world everywhere, even in the things that seem the worst and the most unjust and the cruelest. God is here. We know that because Paul says in Colossians 1.17 that Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. So as bad as the world can be, as bad as life can be, as tragic as it can be at times, it would be infinitely worse if God were completely absent. The Bible says that God is actually present and stirring and moving in the lives of non-believers as well as people who believe in him. God is here even in the times where it seems like he's not, even the times that seem like hell on earth. But the truth is that there is a final judgment. Uh, There is a time 
when our choices will lead us down a path. And you can think about it this way. If you're walking with God in this world, if you have heard the good news about Jesus, which you are hearing today, and you respond to him and you walk with him in this world, and then you die, God will continue that relationship with you into eternity. He will walk with you into eternity, and that is heaven. We see a part of God now. We know God in part now. I think one of the things that's interesting in our society is we want to know everything about everything, and that includes God. We like to be able to put God in a box and know God completely. God is so beyond anything we can dream or imagine. If it wasn't for God's Spirit dwelling in us, we wouldn't even have an idea how to comprehend Him. But we know part of who God is now. But in eternity, we will know Him fully. We will see Him face to face. God will look at us, and we will look at Him, and we will be in something that we can't even imagine today. But there's a flip side of that. If you're walking apart from God now in this world, if you hear the good news of Jesus and you say, I don't want it, if you say to the Holy Spirit through your actions or your words, I will not listen to your conviction and I will not turn to the one who loves me and wants to redeem me and restore my life, and you die, you will continue on that path apart from God. God will not force you into relationship with you. God gave you free will so that you could come and you could know him and be drawn into him and have a life that's incredible beyond what you can imagine. But in eternity, God will not force that, just like he doesn't force himself on you now. The difference is we see part of God now on earth, whether you have a relationship with him or not. But as we head into eternity, it is eternal separation. And that is hell, friends. There's no other way to communicate it. The complete separation from God, from the sustainer and creator of all things, from the one who loves you more than you could ever imagine, the complete separation from him is hell. And it's very real and it's very eternal. I gave you a scripture reference on the bottom of your uh, notes that you can go and you can look at. Uh, Because people are actually saying now there's some different movements, and it's not a new thing. It's a thousand years old uh, heresy, a lie that says that God loves us so much that God will redeem everybody. Uh, This guy Anselm of Canterbury, who, just some old dead guy about a thousand years ago, he started this thing that said God loves everyone so much that someday even the devil will turn to him because of God's amazing love. But you know what? The Bible doesn't communicate that. The Bible says we have a chance to hear, and as we hear, we need to respond today. And if we don't, there is an eternal consequence to that, and that is separation from God. Here's the good news. No one has to have that today. No one who's here this morning has to be separated from God. God could not love you more than he does right now. No matter what you've done, where you've been, where you come from, God could not love you more than he does, and he wants to have a relationship with you beyond what you can imagine. He wants to speak to you and lead you and guide you. And the question is, will you respond to him this morning? If you've never come into an intimate relationship with God, there is no better thing that you could do today than to give your life over to God. He knows you. He created you. He loves you. He wants to redeem and restore any hurt and brokenness. He wants to live in you and speak to you and give you a life of purpose, of passion, of vision. He wants to do amazing, incredible things if you would just come to him. And in a minute, I'm going to give you a chance to do that. I'm going to pray, and you can pray a prayer with me. If you've never come into a relationship with God, but you sense the Holy Spirit guiding you towards him this morning, you can just repeat a simple prayer after me, inviting God to lead you on your life and speak to you and guide you. And it will start now, and it will continue on into eternity as you meet with him in heaven. Another way that we can apply this morning's message, if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you, go out and invite your friends to come and encounter God. There is no reason why anyone who you know should never have the opportunity to hear about Jesus. It is too good a news for you to miss. So I want to encourage you. Next week, I'm actually going to be talking about suffering. Uh, It's birthed out of a year ago last January. I uh, had a tragedy in my life, and I had all these thoughts about suffering and God 
And you know what? When tragedy struck, a lot of those things just kind of crumbled, and I began to reevaluate what does it mean that God is with us in the midst of our suffering and our pain. And I guarantee that will speak to people who you know. So I want to invite you to invite your friends back next week so they can hear it, so they can experience God, and I will give them a chance to respond at the end of that morning, and it's going to be an incredible time. So I want to encourage you, invite your friends to come. And then the last way that we can apply this morning is if you've never been baptized, why would you wait? This summer is the time to get baptized. We're going to have a baptism service, and and you can just mark on your card, I want to get baptized this summer. And we'll contact you, we'll get that set up, we'll get you baptized. We'll also open up the baptismal, the day of our service, and you can just come down and get baptized. But why not mark it now? Why not get set now? Why not walk through uh, with some of our uh, staff what it looks like to be baptized and what that means for you now and get that ball rolling? So why don't you mark that right now? With that, I'm going to pray, and if you've never invited Jesus to lead you and be the Lord of your life, I'm going to give you a chance to respond this morning. Would you join me as we pray? Holy Spirit, I ask right now as I pray that you would be stirring in the lives of my friends, that you would be convicting them of the reality that we do need you, and that you would be drawing them to yourself, that you would uh, be revealing yourself to them, and that you would give them the courage to say yes to you. Would you show them even now just a sneak peek of how good that life can be? As we continue to pray, if you've never come into a personal, intimate relationship with God, I want to invite you. Today is your day. If you sense God stirring you, you can pray this simple prayer with me, and God will hear it, and God will honor it. You can say, Lord Jesus, I've heard your good news. I want to come into a relationship with you. I know that you died to forgive me of my sins and make a way for me to God. Would you come and would you dwell in my heart and guide me on this journey? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.